The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Reunited, and it feels so good. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, January 12th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Sure, we did an emergency Francisco Lindor podcast together last week, but now we get a full-length podcast. Chris Towers, how's life, buddy? Dual sport analyst nowadays. Look at you, big time. Yeah, yeah. It's been, I've been on vacation, so I've been, you know, taking a little, uh, you know, working like one day a week. It's been nice, you know, to, to finally sleep in or not go to sleep at four in the morning, I guess would be the the more accurate way to put it. And uh you know, playing a lot of video games. Getting uh trying to get better at Warzone, just putting in putting in the hours, uh, you know, grinding, try to try to get my K to D up. Uh like you, I played some video games while I was on uh staycation, but a much different genre. Donkey Kong Country one, the remake. Nice for the the switch which is uh, i know you own a switch so if you want to play that feel free to um i would say rip all your hair out maybe rip all your beard hair out it is so hard it is so i was i was hard hanging out with some friends and we decided to to like just kind of pass the controller around and that game is absurdly hard it's so frustrating scott's here what's up scott hey i am here i am how are you? I'm, I'm this rangers hat you're wearing today oh yeah this was a uh, christmas gift to myself and um I'm hopping on the bandwagon a couple of years early, maybe a couple of years late. I always loved Willie Calhoun. Uh, hasn't really <laughs> happened for him. Big fan of Dane Dunning. So happy about that. I also love Nate Lowe. So I don't think they're going to be very good, but I think that I'm going to like watching a lot of Rangers games this year. So boom, Texas Rangers hat, de facto fan. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a lot of uh, ADP risers and fallers. I mentioned that Fantasy Pros now has their ADP up, uh, and as soon as I say that, I'm jumping back to NFBC ADP because something that's um, unique about NFBC ADP, the National Fantasy Baseball Championship, is you can sort it by time frame, by dates. So I look back at uh, ADP from October 1st through November 30th, which were very, very early drafts and maybe had some recency bias right after the season ended. Uh, versus December 1st through now, January 12th, mid-January. So we're going to compare some of those uh, risers and fallers. And I thought I'd just start with this, get it right out of the way at the top. Chris, I we all kind of bashed your love for Giancarlo Stanton last year. I think me more so than anybody else. So apologies. But he is someone, I mean, he is someone who is no falling. No need to apologize. You guys, you guys ended up being right on that one last year. Uh, well... I guess all in all, yeah, he got hurt, but he did things differently in the shortened season 
that uh, actually kind of has me buying in and uh, definitely at this cost because he's one of the the guys where his ADP is dropping. He uh, was ADP 118 during those first two months, uh, October and November, when drafts were going on. And uh, over since December 1st, he is 131. And I just don't really understand this drop because he played 18 of 162 games in 2019. His ADP last year was around 65. So he played 23 of 60 games in 2020. Actually got better, hit more line drives than ever before. Um, Chase pitches less than ever before. Best swinging strike rate of his career. Basically, you know, was a better version of himself. And now he's going... 60 picks later than where he was going last year. And he's also going 70 picks later than Aaron Judge, which I just, I have no idea why that is, Chris. So you look at their steamer projections, Judge, 247, 36 homers, Stanton, 250, 40 home runs. And uh, Aaron Judge's ADP is 58. Stanton's I mean, this, is this just kind of gets to the point I was making all offseason last year that there is discounting for the risk of injury, which we are... I think it is right to do with Giancarlo Stan at this point. And then there's everything else that's dropped him another 70 picks here, which is, I don't know. It's either he can't stay healthy, which we know isn't true. Like he can, he it's, it may be unlikely, but he can play baseball uh, or it's, he's not that good anymore. And I just, I think that's, you're double penal. He's being penalized more than he probably should be. Uh, and I would be saying that if he was going 80th overall right now, yeah. I have him 74th. So I guess I agree. I guess I, mean, I, 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 I it, it's absurd. He's going as late as 131. It's just, it's a perfect buy low. Like this is at 130, there's no risk. Like if he doesn't give you anything, your 130th pick is probably not going to give you anything anyway, or there's like a 50% chance that you're going to drop that guy. Uh, and so it just, I don't know. It's, it's an overreaction. And, and I think uh, an obvious place where there's value, like you look at some of the, the hitters that went around 130 last year uh, and it's pretty hit or miss. Like starting at 125, you got like Michael Brantley, Fran Reyes, Kevin Biggio, Danny Santana, Tommy Edmond, Kyle Schwarber, Yuli Gurriel, Carlos Santana. Uh, what about half of those guys were like worth starting? Maybe less. I just that's the perfect spot. That's that's the Corey Seager spot last year. Could it be because he's DH only? I don't know how. Um, I don't know how NFBC's amended its eligibility, but. On our side, he's DH only to begin next year, which is something new for him. Yeah. And maybe it's just, I mean, that's that's still a bad reason. I mean, Giancarlo Stan is one of those players where I wish there was just an, an easy way to combine the regular season and postseason stats. So, you know, I don't have to come in with the math already done because he hit, he hit 10 home runs in 30 games this year. It's pretty good. Uh, six of those uh, were in seven postseason games, but... But nonetheless, he hit he hit uh, ten home runs in thirty games between regular season and postseason. So I mean, obviously, he's still got it. I, I've seen no reason to believe that he can't at least be the player he was in twenty eighteen. And in twenty eighteen, he was, 
I think he was the number 24 hitter overall in fantasy. Uh, it just, like I said earlier, it's an overreaction um, and a perfect place to, you know, take him 110th and you'll almost certain. Well, not almost certainly it's John Carlos Stan. <laughs> Nothing is certain, but it's a very good uh, place where you can find some obvious profit potential. And and that's the beauty of uh, fantasy baseball. You could be in on one. Uh, you could be in on a player one year and uh, based not in on them the next year. And it's just it's based on uh, this is a value based game that we play. And uh, mm-hmm. if I'm going to get Stanton at that type of discount, although I have bashed him in the past, uh, he did make some improvements this year, and I mentioned some of that. And yeah, this is just especially going around this range. There's no other players you're going to find going later than 120 who are, who have like 40 to 50 home run potential. You're just not going to find that. So that's an easy one for me. And easy buy uh, for someone who is falling down draft boards like right now, which I just don't understand whatsoever. Weren't really a lot of news and notes um, today, a bunch of rumor stuff, which I'll bring up, but there's not really anything concrete to talk about. The Nationals have engaged the Reds about an Eugenio, Eugenio Suarez trade, but are unwilling to part with either of their top prospects, Jackson Rutledge or Cade Cavalli. So, I mean, the Nationals have been making moves. They traded for Josh Bell. They signed Kyle Schwarber. If they did manage to get Suarez, that lineup is already pretty damn good. So, something to pay attention to. Uh, that was reported by John Heyman. The Braves are expected to have Austin Riley open as their starting third baseman this season. And he's another one who's actually on the move right now. And over the past month and a half, his ADP has jumped from 246 to 115. Uh, to 215, sorry. So, he moved up about 30, 31 spots. Scott, I know that I believe earlier in the offseason, you talked about Austin Riley, and I believe you are excited about him. Is that correct? Yes, I am, because uh, his expected stats were actually really impressive last year. Um, Trying to pull them up here on the fly, but they were really impressive, I can say for sure. Yeah, I mean, you just there, even without the expected stats, you just look at what you know, the the baseline stats like he cut his strikeout rate to 24 percent from 36 percent the previous year. Uh, he improved his walk rate. He cut his infield fly ball rate. Um, you know, hard hit rate was a little lower, but average exit velocity was a little higher. Max exit velo was right in line. Um, I think it just points to a, a guy who probably. Uh, made the adjustments that you wanted to see, even if the the overall stats didn't reflect it. Yeah, twenty three point eight percent was the strikeout rate, which is pretty good. I mean, it's it's certainly not a bad strikeout rate. It's for basically average. To, yeah, at this point. Yeah, with for, for uh, somebody with the kind of power potential Austin Riley has. So the expected stats they weren't quite as good as I was thinking, but still, you know, he hit 239. The expected betting average was 262. He slugged 415. The expected slug was 471. It was a huge step forward that wasn't reflected in the the the, the base stats, as Chris said. And, um, you know, obviously, as goes for every player who did something in 2020, you can apply the small sample caveat, but... Um, I don't think he's going to enter 2021 with much sleeper hype. And uh, I, I think that's, that makes for a true sleeper, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> when there's a trendy sleeper, he, he's not so much a sleeper anymore, right? That's kind of an oxymoron. And, and by the way, when I said 23.8% strikeout rate is basically average, it's not just like not bad for a, 
power hitter. Yeah. The league average strikeout rate last season was 23.4%. He was basically an average strikeout hitter last season. Which is night and day from where he was where he yeah. was as a rookie. I mean, he struck out over 36% of the time when he first came up, took the league by storm. This is Austin Riley, hit 14 home runs the first two months that he was up in the majors and then just completely plummeted. The strikeouts got the best of him. Uh, he didn't have enough time to make adjustments back to the league. And I, I like the fact that he's a young player. He failed. He kind of worked on things and he bounced back and he really did correct that strikeout rate. So, um, the, the average exit velocity was up. He hit the ball harder in, in 2020 than he did in 2019. Very excited about Austin Riley. He's someone who's moving up. He's moved up about 30 spots, uh, but that is one that I can actually get behind. Scott, going right around him right now in ADP are a few other third basemen, Brian Anderson and J.D. Davis. Who would you rather have, Riley, Anderson, J.D. Davis? I'm not ready to completely abandon my J.D. Davis love from this time a year ago. Uh, he, he regressed in a lot of ways. He, his profile changed in a way that doesn't really support that enthusiasm anymore, but you know, a a lot of profiles changed dramatically in 2020 and we're not willing to believe in all of them. So, you know, I'm not as high on JD Davis as I was at this time a year ago, but I'm not ready to say I was wrong about JD Davis either. So I still have him ahead of Austin Riley checking here how far apart they are in my rankings. So strictly for Roto, I have J.D. Davis 183, and I have Austin Riley 235. So, you know, pretty decent gap there uh, with about, uh, it looks like there may be three spots apart in my third base rankings. Yeah, I think Austin Riley's upside might be higher if he can couple this new approach with some of the power that we saw in in 2019. Uh, But I I still do like both, but I think I prefer Riley of the two. The Blue Jays have checked in on Chris Bryant, so we'll monitor that situation. The Red Sox are shopping outfielder Andrew Benintendi, and apparently, Chris, your Miami Marlins are interested. Andrew Benintendi. Miami Marlins are interested. Yeah. Are you interested? Great. Sure. You're interested in Benintendi. I, I mean, <laughs> for fantasy or for the Marlins? Uh, both. I don't know. Uh, look, anytime, like, he, his value will almost certainly never be lower. I don't think he's just completely lost the the talent that made him uh, so appealing over the last few, or, you know, before the last two years. So, sure, buy low. He's, he's coming off an absolutely uh, abysmal 14 games, but... I don't know. He could still probably be a, an average to above average player. And, uh, you know, in fantasy, maybe a 15-15 guy. It's, you know, I guess I would want to see what his ADP right now is, and it's 227. It's That seems fine. That seems like a, a worthy late round gamble. Yeah, especially if you play in Roto or something, you could get him as your fourth or fifth outfielder that late. Yeah. Still just 26 years old. It feels like he's yeah. been in the league forever. He's still super young. Um, but I I looked this up. One, uh, 152 games since the start of 2019. A 255 batting average, 751 OPS. So he's been rather average. Struggles yeah. against lefties too in his career. 691 OPS against lefties. We'll see. Maybe a change of scenery would be good for someone like Andrew Benintendi. Uh, and last but not least, according to Bob Nightingale, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred informed clubs on a conference call Monday that they 
quote, should be preparing for spring training to start on time in February and to plan on a full 162-game season being played. Let's go, Scotty. (laughs) Well, of course, they should be preparing for that because otherwise they're going to get caught not prepared for that if it does happen. So this is kind of this is kind of a nothing story. But at the same time, it what I find interesting about this is, you know, some of the the, the commentariat, I guess, is saying, uh, oh, it's it's dangerous to do it before everybody gets vaccinated. And yet it's it's the it's the players that are pushing for this to happen. Like the, the league can't mandate the season start later. It has to be an agreement and the players want to get paid for all 162 games, even if that means playing all 162 games. So, um, so I think it's probably going to happen, but you know, there's still a chance it couldn't. It's really annoying that they're doing this again, where like, are, are has there been any reports that they're like actively trying to work this out right now? Are we going to get to like pitchers and catchers are supposed to report February 18th and they're trying to work things out on February 15th for the first time like they were last year? Like I just. (sighs) Yeah, it sounds about right. It sounds um, I mean, not I hope it's 162 game season. I I hope so as well. And I'll remain optimistic, um, just a natural kind of skeptic the way that I have always lived. But um, I I will remain optimistic here. Hope that we can get it in. But um, I mean, between the pandemic going on, obvious, you know, issues between the MLB and the Players Association dating back to last season. And obviously they have things to resolve over the next uh, year or so. It's uh, it's going to be tough. And especially if you just see what's going on in, in other sports right now, too. I mean, the Cleveland Browns just won a playoff game without their head coach. NBA games <laughs> being postponed left and right. So um, it, it's a really tough time. We're really like in the in the height of the pandemic right now while people are trying to be vaccinated. So. We uh, will we'll continue to monitor it. Hopefully, uh, we'll cross our fingers that we get a full MLB season. Chris, we have some breaking news you just informed us about. What do you got? Yeah, Liam Hendricks has signed with the Chicago White Sox. James Fegan uh, reported at first, White Sox beat writer. So there you go. He is, uh, is he the number one closer in ADP right now? Mercy! Shout out to Hawk Harrelson. We got to get that in there for the White Sox, making a huge move. Liam Hendricks. Um, I think Hader is still being drafted ahead of him, but let's find yeah, out. Yeah, he is. Hader is going over the past month 59 in ADP, and Hendricks is going 71. So, yeah, about 12 spots difference. Um, Scott, does this really change anything for Liam Hendricks? He joins a pretty good team, a team that's ready to compete, good offense, solid pitching staff, should have plenty of save opportunities, and... Um, he made me look foolish last year. I think he made both of us look foolish, Chris. We were kind of off Liam Hendricks. We weren't buying it, but uh, he's been yeah. ridiculous. So, Scott, I mean, is yep. he just like a bona fide top three closer? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, he, he he was able to maintain the increased rate of missing bats and yeah, actually improved on his numbers during his breakout 2019 season. He was awesome for a second straight year, and you don't get you know, the shelf life for closers is so short, you don't get much more assurances than that usually. So I, I think he's my, I, I'm pretty sure he's my number two ranked reliever behind Hater, and I think he's going to stay there. I don't think his uh, um, potential for earning saves is any less with the White Sox. They did have an in-house candidate and Aaron Bummer who would be a pretty interesting closer target if they didn't go out and sign a more proven guy. 
So what you're saying is it's kind of disappointing for Bummer that he won't get that opportunity? That That's what I'm saying. I, I don't know why you went so far out of your cause way. Because you would have thought, thought I was going to say it's a misdirection. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic misdirect. Okay. All right. <laughs> I feel you. Uh, Scott, you and I both have Liam Hendricks ranked as our number two closer in Roto, and I would imagine it's probably the same in, in head-to-head points, but of course we know that saves are much more valuable in uh, category leagues than they are in head-to-head points leagues. I, I guess the fallout from this is Alex Colomay has to find somewhere else to pitch now, and I I mean, he's kind of tiptoeing around where like his underlying numbers are not very good, but he continues to get the job done, and I, I've been so skeptical of Alex Colomay the past couple of years, but he continues to get it done. I assume some team will probably sign him to like a cheaper one-year deal and he'll be their closer. But uh, if the A's do not make another move, Chris, it seems like uh, Jake Diekman is the leader in-house to earn saves. And, and I've seen a few reports on that recently. So uh, if anyone's drafting right now, Jake Diekman is the closer for the A's. Yeah, just a reminder that uh, Hendricks was the first player to lead the, the A's in, cons- in saves in consecutive seasons, I think, since... Oh, we did this last year. Was Who it Grant was it? Grant Balfour? Yeah, yep. It was Grant Balfour, yep. Like 12, 13 years ago? Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, in looking at ADP, I, I guess we're back to drafting closers uh, in the top 100. So, uh, no thank you. I will be <laughs> passing on that. Um, and, it wasn't uh, that long ago that Balfour led them in saves back-to-back years. Like 2013 and 14, maybe? Okay. Yeah. No, it, it was 2012 and 13. Yeah. But you said 12 or 13 years ago. And I was like, wait well, a second. Balfour wasn't around that long ago. I think I get partial credit for that. Um, yeah. Like he probably should be Which, the number two uh, reliever. I just, I, I don't, I can't imagine I'm going to draft him at all. Me neither. By the way, he was around 12 or 13 years ago. He just wasn't saving games. <laughs> that was for the A's. That was more recent. Uh, thanks for the clarification there, yes. Scott. Um, yes. Chris mentioned partial work. Always show your work. You know that, Chris. So Yes. All right, ADP movers. Let's let's look a little bit closer on this. I mentioned uh, I compared a bunch of data from the NFBC from October 1st to November 30th versus ADP from December 1st to January 11th to see who's rising, who's falling. And uh, I had you guys choose a few names, mostly Chris. But uh, let's let's start off with one of these, and we'll stick with the closers. And Craig Kimbrell, he has moved from 235 to 192.8, now climbing inside the top 200 picks. And uh, if you don't want to spend an early round pick on, on a closer, Chris, Craig Kimbrell can be your guy. I assume that he's going to be the Cubs closer. I don't know how competitive they will be and how many save opportunities they'll have. But uh, his final 14 appearances... 1.42 ERA, 0.87 whip. That was after he allowed a run in each of his first four appearances. So really, really calmed down after that early season mess from Kimbrel. Yeah, and it's basically his last two seasons have been a disaster if you just look at the overla- underlying or the, the top line numbers. Uh, but 2019, he didn't sign until, what, late June through no fault of his own. It's not like people thought he was bad. Uh, it was just that Major League Baseball teams decided they didn't want to give out draft pick compensation that year. Um, and so he didn't get going until July. He pitched through a knee injury. And then 2020, like you said, he had four bad outings to start the season and was awesome after that. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say Craig Kimbrell is Craig Kimbrell again. 
you know, the, the guy who was, you know, looking like one of the best closers of all time before the last couple of seasons, but uh, he's, I think pitcher 70 in ADP over the last month, maybe 69. And uh, that just feels like an obvious, that feels like an easy win. Like that, that drafting him there, just it, it seems like an obvious another obvious place where there's there's value to be gained. Maybe he's just done, but I, I don't think the I don't think it's we have enough data to make a strong conclusion on that. And so yeah, Craig Kimbrell Craig Kimbrell around the fifteenth round will be a big target for me. I I'm always curious what the impetus is for such a move like this up the uh the ADP. I mean, we're talking more than 40 spots and what news has, has led to that. Cause the, the, I think the reason people were skeptical of Kimberl at first is as well as he pitched down the stretch and maybe they didn't notice cause they were looking at the overall numbers. But even if they did notice like the Cubs didn't give him the job back, uh, even as he was performing well. So what are they going to, what role were they going to put him in in 2020? And all I've, all I can see that's changed news wise is the Cubs have, have uh, sold you Darvish. <laughs> you know, it, lo- it looks like they're selling off pieces. And I think it was, was it Chris or was it you, Frank, who we we were talking? Was about? it a smart point? <laughs> then it probably then it was, was probably Frank. It probably wasn't. Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kimbrel, if the Cubs aren't. Compete if they're in sell mode. Kimbrel's entering the last year of his contract, so they it would actually make more sense for them to make him the closer to try and put him out there as a as a trade chip. Um, they should anyway because he's their best reliever. But I, I think I don't know. Maybe people have more confidence they're going to do that now. Let's talk about Drew Smiley and another one where ADP around two forty seven uh, the first couple of months. He signed in November, so maybe there wasn't enough time for people to react. But um, since December 1st, ADP 205.7. And for Smiley, uh, not a lot of volume here. He only pitched five or more innings in two of his starts or appearances because he, he made seven appearances, only five of those were starts. But the strikeouts were awesome. Um, the velocity was up for him. He changed his pitch mix. He uses curve more than ever before. Scott, he is joining your Atlanta Braves, are you excited about what you saw in Drew Smiley? Because this seems like a, a different Smiley than we've ever seen before. I mean, why not? I, I can understand why his ADP's gone up because I, I don't think it was clear him entering the free agent market, especially having pitch like I think most of his starts were less than five innings with the Giants, so they didn't handle they they weren't giving him a normal starters workload, and it wasn't clear that. It, a team would sign him to be a starter, but that's obviously what the Braves wanted him to do. And yet, as much as the ADP has risen, he's still going outside of the top 200. So the investment is basically nothing for a guy who, uh, small though the sample was, I believe uh, K per nine of 14.4 would have been top five among qualifiers, I believe. Um, and uh, swinging strike rate would have been top 10. Uh, so... And, and, you know, the fact that his velocity jumped two and a half miles per hour after being removed from Tommy John surgery a certain period of time. I don't know if those short starts were helping him throw harder and 
maybe it's all going to come crashing down in a full length season. Maybe you won't be able to stay healthy again, but when the investment is nothing and somebody show makes that big of a splash, I, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of that tiny sample of innings. Rich Hill got at the end of the season with the Red Sox before signing a similar deal with the athletics. And there were a lot of doubters then. And, and he went on to have a, a really good second chapter of his career. Yeah. You know what it reminds me more of what's up? What? Shamanaya last season. Yeah, except we didn't see we saw Manaya's velocity drop during that stretch versus right, Smiley. He was going, going higher up. than Drew Smiley's currently going. Yeah, well he was also he also had more of a track record, but that's fine. I mean, maybe it won't work out, but we're outside of the top two hundred here. Yeah, I just I don't know, like Drew Smiley ended up or Shamanai ended up like one eighty last year, and there were times when he was going like one fifty. I, I just worried Drew Smiley, like I don't know. If it's 200, sure. If it keeps rising, I just, I don't know. He's a 33-year-old, 33-year-old? 32-year-old. He's uh, turning 32 in June. About 32-year-old. Yep. Uh, who had 20, has, has had 26 and a third good innings in the last five seasons pitching in San Francisco. <laughs> I just, like, I don't know. There are, there are lots of late-round pitchers who could get strikeouts. I, I, I don't know. It depends. It, it depends whether it's late or mid round pick, I think is the thing, but I'm not going to get excited about it. Yeah. I mean, Scott mentioned outside the top 200. So for now it's, it's, it's still late, but it could continue to creep up. I think we're probably dealing with just a Roto only pitcher here, maybe head to head categories as well, because Scott, I just don't think we're going to get a lot of volume out of him. Um, hasn't pitched more than 114 innings since, 2016 so I don't know where the well, Braves he wasn't very good back then is something yeah. to remember too I don't know where the Braves are going to get all their innings from if uh, they're talking about limiting Mike Soroka early on and if, if we're assuming that Drew Smiley isn't going deep into games like they need to get innings from somebody so yeah I, I mean I'm I don't see a lot of safe bets in the 200 range at starting well, pitchers no so I, I will sell out hard for the upside and I feel like Smiley's somebody who presents more than most going in that range. Yeah, he does, yeah, especially strikeout upside, but uh, probably a roto only play for me. And um, unfortunately, you could see Scott put like he packed his Christmas tree away. That's fine. I mean, it's mid January. It's probably about the time of year where he should. But um, we have a new guest on the podcast. Uh, Chris's cat has been appearing on here. Uh, and if you want to see, she's been biting me. All today. of our mugs, so or uh, you can see me <laughs> reacting to that during the podcast. If you want, you want to see uh, Chris's cat attacking him, you can certainly do so at our YouTube. That's YouTube.com/slash/FantasyBaseballToday. Make sure to subscribe and. Continue sending us your questions. We have a few questions we'll get to later on. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Uh, but if you enjoy FBT, feel free to leave us a five-star Apple podcast rating and drop a question in the review. We'll be sure to answer it here on the podcast. Much appreciated as always. All right, so we got through Drew Smiley, Craig Kimbrell. We talked about Austin Riley, Giancarlo Stanton. All right, we got to do it. It's time. We've gone this long in the offseason. We haven't waxed poetic about my guy. Joe Musgrove, uh, someone who I feel like I've been, I've become synonymous with. And uh, he's kind of frustrating actually, because I, I've, I've rostered Joe Musgrove a lot in my, in my fantasy baseball career. And uh, he has not lived up to the hype and uh, he's, he's already climbing. He's climbing up to a spot where it is already 
probably too it's, high it's, for Joe. It's Musgrove. ludicrous. Yeah. It is ludicrous. His ADP is going 80 spots higher than he was last year. Yeah. In NFC ADP. It's yeah. ludicrous. Yeah. As of now, since December 1st, he is at 127.9. That's up from 143.8 in October and November. So Joe Musgrove is on the rise and I, I know why. It's, he teases us every year towards the end. His final five starts, he was awesome. 2.16 ERA, 13K per nine, 1.8 walks per nine. The, velo- the fastball velocity was up. He had a 16% swinging strike rate during that time. Scott, is that enough for you to buy into Joe Musgrove as a pick inside the top 130 right now? No, I, I buy into him as a pick inside the top 180. Yeah. Uh, I I feel more excited about him at the than I was at this time a year ago. I know there were some people making the case for him then. Um, to me, the changes. I mean, look, his last two starts, he looked like you, Darvish, and I know it's just two starts, but like, has there been a two-start stretch in Joe Musgrove's career where he did anything like that, getting all those whiffs? Uh, I venture to say. There has not. He didn't have a double-digit swinging strikeout game uh, the previous two years, and then he got two in a row. So, uh, I'd like to be able to invest in. He's always had great control. If he's going to be this bat misser, you, you know, he's going to be efficient. He's going to get pitched deep into games. If he's going to be a bat misser, you know, anywhere close to what we saw in September, um, then. He's he's finally going to live up to that hype, but yeah, under twenty. I mean, let me see what I mean, kind of pitchers I have in that range. I have I have like Joe Mike Soroka. If Joe Musgrove ever has like eight good starts in a season, he's going to be a first round pick <laughs> at this pace. <laughs> I have like uh, so I have like Charlie Morton and Patrick Corbin in that one twenty range, uh, who obviously have done, you know. There, I don't know. I mean, you look at the way the way you look at the way Charlie Morton finished last season and compare it to his longer track record, and obviously that's more deserving of a pick in that range than Musgrove is. I like Musgrove. I I think there's talent there. Uh, so much depends on his velocity, his fastball velocity. It's he's so much better when he's around 93, 94 versus anything lower than that. And he started the season he was around like 91, 92. And then of course when he comes back, the velocity is up here. So I like the pitcher. I, I think eventually he's we're probably going to get something really good from him. But uh, if he continues to rise, it's just too rich for me. And and that comes from someone who really likes Joe Musgrove. Uh, the last name I wanted to mention as a riser. And we, I don't think we've talked about him at all, Scott, this whole offseason to this point. Lourdes Gurriel, he has moved up about 12 spots in October, November. 92.5 is the ADP since December 1st, 80.6. And over his last 162 games, Lourdes Gurriel, 285 batting average, 35 home runs, 9 steals, an 855 OPS, average exit velocity over 90 miles per hour in each of his first three seasons. Um... In 2020, lowered his strikeout rate 4%, career high line drive rate 25.9%, expected to bat third or fourth in an, an improving lineup. It's um it's a pretty high price tag, but I think it's warranted. I I, I you know, people are talking about Teoscar Hernandez and how excited they are over him. Like, I think just in a vacuum, I would take Lourdes Gurriel over Teoscar Hernandez because I don't have as many concerns over the 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 strikeout rate and the plate discipline, Scott. 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that he cut down the strikeouts as much as he did, the fact that he had an elite hard hit rate, um, you know, which it was pretty high in 2019. But the thing that really made me skeptical of Lourdes Gurriel at this time last year, and, you know, he had a lot of believers, but I was a skeptic because uh, it was just such a short, he had this incredible hot stretch in the middle of 2019 that kind of made his numbers what they were. And he wasn't that good apart from that stretch. So I, 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 the fact that he bounced back and had, you know, was able to do it again over a couple months time um, was pretty reassuring to me. And I, I think I can get on board with everybody and, and thinking he's the real deal. Now, where exactly does he fall among other players who are the real deal? I have him, I have him 104th. So it, it looks like this NFBC condensed, uh, consensus is a little higher than me. Um, I'd be curious what outfielders they had. So like, here's one that stands out to me. Austin Meadows is going behind him. I, that feels like an overreaction. And I, love I would him. rather have Austin Meadows than... Than Lourdes Gurriel. I love well, Austin I can't, Meadows I can't this say year. that looking at my rankings. I, I hear you. I get that. But I, I'm down, like, I'm pretty down on Austin Meadows because I'm not exactly sure. Boo, boo, I'm Scott, not exactly boo. sure where 2019 came from. <laughs> it was just kind of. Well, uh, the, what uh, I would say is he was one of the guys. His season got started late because of COVID last year, right? Yeah. And then when he returned, he dealt with an oblique injury. That just, that feels like a really good excuse. And we were, you know, he was talked about as a you know, what, probably a top 15 outfielder. Yep. He was this time top last season. He was going 41st overall on average last year. So um, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like there, we all said, let's not overreact to 2020 small sample size. And then Lourdes, Lourdes Gurriel's ADP jumped 80 spots from last season and Austin Meadows dropped 53. Mm-hmm. And I just, like Austin Meadows has done the full season version of this. Actually, yes. a much better version of it. Yeah. And I like I both. Mean, I wish he played for a different organization because I don't sure. trust the Rays to give him an honest chance to bounce back to 2019 production either. But, you know, and, and part of it's just, I, I didn't really know what to say against Austin Meadows at this time last year. So I just kind of went with the flow on him. Um, and this was pretty disastrous. Maybe it was a good excuse. Maybe not. I just, like I said, we're kind of just playing hunches, which makes it fun. It makes it more fun to analyze uh, fantasy baseball this year than in recent years because you're going to get opinions all over the place. Uh, but my my opinion is to to uh, to give a wide berth to Austin Meadows. Yeah, I'm not as concerned. I I, I really liked him last year. Uh, I get it if you're just if you don't trust the player. But um, I, he's still just he's going to be 25 years old when the season starts. I, I don't think the Rays are going to kind of mess around. I think they're going to let him play every day. And if you look at his lefty-righty splits in his career so far, 837 OPS uh, against lefties in 2019, 921 OPS against lefties in, in 2018. Um, I think he's proven that he can. I, I, I will say they didn't lefties. let him play every day this past year. Yep. So I just don't. I just don't think he was ever healthy. But that's maybe so. We shall see. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to talk about a few players who are falling in ADP right now. We'll do that here, Fantasy Baseball Today.
If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. At some point, the ageless wonder Nelson Cruz was going to fall off a cliff. But he hasn't done that yet, so why is he falling in ADP? Is it because he doesn't have a job? Maybe. ADP in October and November, 88.8. Since December 1st, 103.1. He's dropped about 15 spots. Chris, I see you shaking your head over there. You're smiling. <laughs> Every year. Like, here's a hot take that probably isn't that hot. Nelson Cruz is probably the most valuable player in fantasy baseball history. In terms of the surplus value that he has added to fantasy baseball teams over the course of his career, I don't think there is any player who has been more underdrafted every single year. And every single year, he is one of the best hitters in fantasy. And every single year, his ADP drops. And it makes sense. He is 40 years old. <laughs> he may be done. Or maybe he will be done at some point this season. But we haven't seen it yet. And at some point, you're just... You're, you're, the skepticism around him at some point has to has to stop. I, I don't know. Like maybe it's because he's DH only. Maybe it's because he hasn't signed. Maybe once he signs, he'll, he'll move up. But if you can get Nelson Cruz at 105th or whatever, wh whatever we're talking about here, uh, it just, I don't know. It, it seems like such an obvious win and we do it every year. The, the one thing I'll say about Cruz, I think, you know, most people avoid him because he is so old. They want to be one year early rather than one year late. You know, they don't want to be stuck with Nelson Cruz on their team the year that he just completely plummets because it's probably going to happen at some point unless he's just David Ortiz and he just continues to mash until he retires, which I guess is a possibility. But 53 games this year, we did see, you know, he was dinged up. He started to deal with more injuries. He only played 120 games in 2019. Strikeouts went up a little bit this year. 27% was a career high for him, 46.5% ground ball rate, career high for Nelson Cruz, and while his batted ball data, according to StackS, was still very, very good, it was not on par with where he has been the past couple of years. So I think those are some of the things that people might be looking at, Scott. I, I don't. 
You still like him? I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I have him. I am 58th. So like, I, I think what he signs, I, I think the biggest reason he's fallen from where he was is because he hasn't signed yet. And that's making people nervous given his age and given that if there's no DH in the NL, he's very limited selection of teams to look at him. That's um, probably true. But when he does sign, he'll go up. I don't know if he'll go up to where I have him at 58th. Probably not, considering he was starting at 88th. But uh, but I don't think he'll be on this fallers list for long. I don't think I don't think that trend of him falling will continue for much longer. Yeah, I mean, but the, even then, he was still a good value before he fell. Mm-hmm. The thing yeah. that's so interesting this year more than ever before is like we were talking about other util only players. You know, Jordan Alvarez last year was like a second, third round pick, and of course, he has all the injury concerns. His ADP the past month is 87. So you, you don't really have to invest nearly as much and. I mean, he's a lot younger, and his upside well, is probably his knees as, may not be though. <laughs> they are. He he that, might have Nelson Cruz's knees actually. Yeah, there's that for him specifically, but for DH only players as a whole, like last year, it was basically just Jordan Alvarez and Nelson Cruz. So yeah, you, you, if you got one, you were blocking the other, but that's it. This year, it's it's so many players. It's yep. It's uh, it's Alvarez and Cruz. It's Giancarlo Stanton. It's J.D. Martinez, it's Jorge Soler, it's Willie Calhoun even. I, I may be even forgetting Fran Reyes. Fran Reyes, yep. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, those there are the, the only rele- relevant ones, I guess. Now, that's that's still not a great way to approach it because most of those guys, I think, are going to become eligible at a position soon enough. It's only going to take five games in season. Um, you know, maybe maybe it'll take six weeks, but... Eventually, for most of the season, I think most of those guys you'll be able to play somewhere else. And uh, yet, on draft day, when you're looking at just one utility spot, you know if you draft any one of them, you're not going to be able to draft another one of them. And you're not going to be able to do something like draft, I don't know, a third third baseman or something like that. So it's, I, I get why it's kind of having an effect on all of them together, but it's still, it's too much of an effect. Let's quickly talk about two young starting pitchers who are sliding right now. And uh, I mentioned, you know, some of the fallers were younger pitchers who um, maybe recency bias as soon as the season ended, they remembered, you know, how electric Sixto Sanchez was when he first came up. But now he is sliding ADP from 118 down to 132.7 over the last month. And I think people are kind of looking at the lack of strikeouts here. And that kind of what is is driving this this fall for Sixto Sanchez. Uh, he had that double-digit strikeout game, his second start of the season. His final five starts, 6.3K per nine, 3.3 walks per nine. So, Chris, our resident Marlins fan here, uh, what do you think about this slide for Sixto Sanchez? If he continues to fall, would you be willing to invest? I mean, yeah. I think his current ADP, 132, it's not just the... Uh, strikeout rate. It's the fact that this is a guy whose career high in innings is 114. He's coming off, you know, obviously a season where he threw what's 50 total innings, including the playoffs. But obviously there was more during the, you know, it's hard. Like you can't just say, okay, he threw 50 innings because he was pitching during, you know, the time leading up to it. But there are innings concerns for Sixto Sanchez and there always have been. There have always been durability concerns for him as a prospect. Um, and the strikeouts just have never been as impressive as the scouting reports would make you think. Uh, in the minors, he was usually an above-average strikeout pitcher. Um, 
he was one of those guys where K percentage probably told you a better story than uh, K rate in the minor than K per nine, just because uh, he was routinely running a whip around one, if not lower. And so that, that drove his uh, K per nine down, but he was never posting the 30% strikeout rates. His, his high in the minors was 25% and usually more like 22 to 24%, um, which is good, but not great. It's roughly average. Uh, But he, in the minors was elite at in at limiting, you know, the bad batted ball results. And he was very, very good at that in his first trip to the, in the, in the majors as well. Uh, thing that stands out for me, always elite at inducing infield fly balls. And last season in the majors, 16% infield fly ball rate. That's really good. Coupled with the fact that he had a 58% ground ball rate. He could be, um, you know, a, I think the ceiling is probably like a Mike Soroka or, uh, you know, the really, really good version of Dallas Keuchel. Um, and there's always the chance. I mean, there's no question the stuff can get whiffs. Uh, yeah. He actually had a pretty good whiff rate, 12.8% yep. swing strike rate. It's just, mm-hmm. he throws to contact. 12.8. Um, and that's versus like Trevor Bauer had 12.9. Yeah. Um, but he throws a lot of sinkers. Um, and so, you know, he, he is someone who with a different pitch mix could be a better strikeout pitcher as well. So I think there's upside potential. And I just, I think there's a pretty high floor for him. Mm. The, the, the only issue for him is innings, I think. So I, I don't, I don't think he should be falling, but I think his ADP probably makes sense at 132. Yeah. I think coming off the season, people kind of just remembered the hype around him, and, and that's why he was being drafted so early. So I think this is kind of like a natural fall for Sixto into an area that makes more sense. Uh, but he's dropping into an area right around Joe Musgrove. So Chris, would you rather have Sixto or, or <laughs> Big Joey? Um, that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd rather have Sixto. Um, yeah, I'd rather have Sixto. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised you were hesitating as as much as you... Yeah, I, no, I think the move up to Musgrove to this. Yeah, range. once I start thinking about it, I think yeah. there's there's a similar floor. I think the only thing is innings. Yeah, um, but it's not like Musgrove been a particularly uh, efficient pitcher in his career. He's never averaged six yeah. innings per start. Um, well, overall, so, it's not like he's been a good pitcher. I don't see right, the, yeah. I don't see how things go that wrong for Sixto Sanchez because yeah. he's already dominant on two of the three. Uh, most important skilled areas, preventing home runs and, and uh, limiting walks. I mean, he's an elite strike thrower. Yep. And I probably give him a better chance than you do of becoming a strikeout pitcher, but I don't think he needs to be to be to, to live up to this ADP, frankly. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's kind of just like a flashier version of Kyle Hendricks when it's all said and done, which wouldn't be bad. I mean, Kyle Hendricks is a, is a very fine pitcher. I was thinking baseball. Jose Barrios. I think he could be very similar to Jose Barrios as well. Yeah, just with much better command. I don't know what happened with Barrios' command this year. That was weird. Uh, the other pitcher I wanted to bring up was Tristan McKenzie, uh, someone else who we might have some concerns over how many innings he's going to provide in 2021. But a big fall here, Scott, from 159 down to 201 since December 1st. So he's penciled into Cleveland's rotation as of now. He's dealt with a lot of injury concerns. Uh, you see the body type. He, you know, he's very skinny. So maybe that kind of lends itself to, um, you know, more injury risk. But do you can you find a reason why he's dropping as much? 
The only thing I could figure is that the as it, Cleveland just traded away their best player, Francisco Lindor, and what is their lineup going to look like without him? They've lost Carlos Santana this offseason, too. It's looking like a pretty raggedy lineup, and you're wondering, is the run support going to be there for McKenzie? I, I suspect that's why people are cooling on him. What's interesting about this is uh, I recently re-examined my initial ranking of McKenzie relative to where I was seeing him go some of the other places and decided I needed to move him up. But you said he's moved down to what? What is his ADP more recently? 201. 201. And what was it before? 159. Yeah, so I moved him up to 163. I, As a young pitcher, and particularly in a, a young pitcher who's had durability concerns, it's hard for me to imagine coming off the season that was that he gets much more than like 100 innings. Um, Steamer has him for 136, which is probably optimistic. Yeah. Although he did I'm, throw 143 in 2017. Now his you know arm started to fall apart the following year, but <laughs> well, actually it was like, it wasn't just his arm, right? He had like, it was like a back injury, I think was the, the primary. Yeah, upper, upper back cost him all of 2019, yeah. which. Uh, but I don't think he ever had Tommy John or anything. Uh, not not in recent history, if he did. And and you may be right that he hasn't at all. Um, He's awesome, he, though. Can we just say that? Like, Tristan McKenzie was awesome. It was a small sample size. It was 33 and a third innings. But 12% yeah. swing strike rate, 35% chase rate. He has four different pitches that he uses at least 10% of the time. Scott, he was he was really damn good. And then there's the issue that which pitchers in this range do you trust are going to get a full allotment of innings? I think guys who've done it before at the major league level, uh, you can yeah, probably Ramon trust Marquez to do will. that. I'm sorry, who? Ramon Marquez will. Yeah, sure. But he's not. He's yeah. probably not going to be as good. Inning for inning. Um, I, I mean, I, there, there I, are some. There are some that would, but the thing is, if if you're trusting them to get the workload and you're trusting them to be as good as I think McKenzie's going to be on a per inning basis, they're going much earlier than this. So it's just it's just a, a matter of what you value most. I could see him being as good as Denelson Lamette. I, I think it's actually a pretty similar profile, McKenzie. Uh, you know, Lamette has his own injury concerns. Um, mm. And they they approach pitching differently. Lamette is just two pitches, and he throws harder. But uh, you know, high high fly ball rate, tons of strikeouts. Uh, I think McKenzie probably overall has better established control, at least in his professional career. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the upside is really that high, though. Like this was the guy that the scouting reports and minor league numbers told us he would eventually become. Yeah, there was nothing after that. I know it sounded like I had <laughs> like that was the, a comma, but it was actually a period. We're, we're two for two. That happened on yesterday's <laughs> podcast as well, where I, I thought Scott was going to continue. He's like, nope, that's it. That's the end of the sentence. Um, Mackenzie, I, I think once you get into that part of the draft, right, um, with some of these younger guys and you have concerns about just kind of load up your bench with as many of them as you can and just like while they're healthy, while they're pitching. Uh, I mean, yeah. even Drew Smiley, like he's that- not young, but. We have workload concerns. He's going to be really good, I think, in the innings that he does pitch. So yeah, no, that because because the way the innings are limited for them, if we're expecting them to be limited, uh, it's probably not going to be uh, okay. 
they work straight through to that limit and then they're just shut down for the rest of the year. There'll probably yeah. be these like phantom IL stints. So maybe when one guy goes down, you could turn to another. Uh, but that's kind of like, that. that's to get like to broader um, approach to the draft. That's, I, I'd, I, I'd rather do it that way where you're, you're getting a handful of these guys for your bench or maybe your fifth SP spot. And like, if you're relying them up for your third and fourth SP spot, you probably waited too long to fill out your pitching staff because like, there's just the, 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 it it drops off because we don't know how um, the innings are going to play out after. So after nobody got much work last year, yep. Uh, the trustworthiness at the, the the starting pitcher position it drops off even more abruptly than than it did last year. Or yeah, really I would say any other year. 150 really good innings has never been more valuable in fantasy than it has been in recent years, and I think that will be more true in 2021 than ever before. Yeah, and how many pitchers have we said this about already? Workload concerns, workload concerns, and we're going to continue to say it. So if that's the case, that means everybody's going to be limited except for the top tier aces who we've seen do it before. And I think that's especially why this year more than ever before, I am more likely to take two pitchers in the first two rounds, just going pocket aces, taking two of those starting pit, two of my top 10 pitchers. Um, I've done a few, like three different NFBC drafts already. I usually come out with like three starting pitchers in the first five rounds. And because of that recency bias on hitters, you're getting a lot of established hitters in those middle rounds later than you should be. So I mean, you can get Nolan Arenado in the third round in most drafts right now. You start that, that, like you that, start with like if you can get pocket aces and Nolan Arenado. Exactly. That that kind of sounds pretty good. And that's exactly what I've been shooting for. Like yeah. two pitchers, you get one of either Arenado, Rendon, Bregman, they're all going in the third round right now. Yeah. Take another pitcher in either the fourth or the fifth, then just load up on all these guys that are, you know, being undervalued. Glaber Torres in the fifth round, Carlos Correa a little bit later on, Javier Baez is a name, JD Martinez, uh, Giancarlo Stanton. There's just so many names. Austin Meadows, who are just going in that that middle round range where just a couple years ago they were being drafted inside the first two, three rounds. So that's that's a little bit of my uh, my early draft strategy that I've been looking at. We'll uh, wrap up with some questions here. This one's from Luke in uh, Anderson Island. I'm the commissioner of a 10-team Dynasty Points League. We roster 350 to 390 players and keep all players in perpetuity. Jack Flaherty is my pride and joy, especially with the emphasis on pitching in points leagues. However, I was offered Dustin May, Mackenzie Gore, and Victor Robles for Flaherty and Gallo or Alec Manoa, who is a pitching prospect for the Toronto Blue Jays. So give up Flaherty and Gallo or Manoa for Dustin May, Mackenzie Gore, Victor Robles. What do you think, Scott? Well, even though he's still young and formerly an elite prospect and we still can't say for sure who he's going to be, I'm treating Victor Robles in a 10-team points league as virtually valueless at this point. So let's kind of just remove him uh, from the equation. And you're 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 mainly because I don't I don't put much stock in Alec Manoa, so you would trade him over Joey Gallo. So you're you're mainly looking to Dustin May and Mackenzie Gore together make up for Flaherty. Um, keeping them all on equal terms, and considering it's a league this shallow where the standard for impact is is so much higher. Like I'm not sure Dustin May. 
is ever going to meet the impact standard for a 10-team league. Um, I think the chances are pretty good, but I'm not sure he will. I, I don't think I'd do it. I don't think I'd do it. I, I think Flaherty is clearly the most valuable player here. He's still young. You're keeping him at the same cost as those other guys, and it's a 10-team league, so you really need, need to make sure you get the impact players. He's, he's the one who's already there. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're looking to rebuild, maybe you consider it, but Flaherty's still just 25 years old, so he's young enough, and we've seen him dominate already, so I would, uh, I would stick with Jack Flaherty myself. This one's from Dan in Wisconsin. I'm in a Dynasty head-to-head categories league. This is my second year playing, and I took over a horrible team. Barring a miracle, I won't be contending for a championship. We're required to keep 8 to 10 players. Is it worth keeping Chris Sale, or should I move on? Um, he sent me his entire roster, and <laughs> if I were you, Dan, I'm definitely keeping Kyle Tucker, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Julio Rodriguez. You're going to have to wait a little bit for these guys, but um, Pablo Lopez, Sandy Alcantara, Jonathan VR. Those were six that I found that I thought for sure. But after that, I think Chris Sales should probably be considered. I think he's in that mix. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think you you keep Sale. Hope he comes back from Tommy John surgery relatively strong this season. Uh, he should be back by midseason, right? His his Tommy John surgery was at the first spring training, if yeah. I'm remembering correctly. They've mentioned um, June or July as a as a timetable. Yeah, so hope you're hoping he comes back and shows something before whatever your 2021 trade deadline is and you move him for something. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you picked Jonathan VR as somebody to obviously keep. I know it's a categories league and I know there's been some talk of him re-signing with the Orioles. If, if he's, if he's back with the Orioles and, and that's a team that could offer him consistent playing time, then I'd agree. But if he's not back with the Orioles, I don't think there are many teams out there that are going to offer VR the kind of role he'd need to be of, much value anymore, except as like a late round steel specialist. Uh, that's definitely fair, Scott, but Dan sent me his team and um, it was bad. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't <laughs> the greatest team, but you know what? He admitted it himself, so I'm allowed to yeah. agree. Uh, Aroldis Chapman is one of his players on his, so you probably want to keep Aroldis Chapman as well uh, in this format, but um, yeah, taking a look here, I, you know, like Griffin Canning, Carlos Santana, I mean, there's not a lot of other players here that I think Bobby Dahlbeck, yeah. Not really excited about any of those guys. All right, yes, you should keep Chris Sale. Listen to uh, Chris Towers, and if he performs well, try and flip him for another young piece at your trade deadline. All right, that's going to wrap it up here. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching. We will be back on Thursday. On Wednesday, you will hear Danny Vietti and Will Middlebrooks. We'll be back on Thursday. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.